And so will you pray with me and continue in prayer? Word of God, would you speak? We invite you, Holy Spirit, to open our ears, to open our minds, to open our hearts, to receive what you would say. Lord, I ask that you would anoint me by your Holy Spirit to preach your word today. Lord, I pray, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. And we declare that this is a place of your holiness and that the enemy cannot interfere. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today, first sermon in our new year, we're going to be in Luke 11, continuing on in our series 1617 in the Bibles in the chairs. Luke 11, starting with verse 24 to 32. Luke 11, you have it? I'm still seeing heads down, so you're still looking. That's all right. There's a table of contents if you're new to the Bible. Look in the front of the Bible and see what page number, or you've got it, 1617, if it's the Bible that's in the chair. Ready? All right, so this is um, coming after Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Then he cast out an evil spirit, a demon, that was causing a person to be mute. And then he was accused, if you remember last week, he was accused of doing this act by actually the prince of demons, Satan himself. There were several responses. There were three responses. You remember that? Three responses. People were amazed. Some people accused. And some people asked for more proof, another sign. And so now we pick up in verse 24. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, this is Jesus speaking, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. As the crowds increased or pressed in, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh 
will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. This is our scripture. And as I reflected on it and made notes and studied this text and associated text, there was so much here. It's so rich. And I'm asking the Lord, Lord, what is your message for Gold Avenue Church, for the people that will be here, this first message of 2016? And he reminded me that Jesus was speaking a message to those who didn't want it, may not appreciate it, but who desperately needed it. And I wonder how much our context perhaps might hear a message today that we weren't asking for. I pray that we appreciate it, but we all desperately need to hear what the Lord has to say to us. Jesus was giving a warning, and about a week ago, Monday, tomorrow, there was this big storm. Do you remember the big storm that was coming through from Texas and New Mexico all the way up, this winter storm they call Goliath? And I got a new weather app on my phone, and so it was so cool to watch this radar. But it was giving me and those that don't like winter storms um, an unwanted message. It was saying that up to half an inch of ice was going to come and um, very, very strong winds. And this radar was going across. And so what I needed to do was pay attention and heed that warning. And so there were some appointments that needed to get canceled. We watched that radar and we said, okay, it's safe to have staff meeting at noon, but by 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Monday it may not be safe. And then I thought about Pastor Dave and his family over in Canada, and I knew that they were planning to travel home on Monday. And so I sent a test text message, not knowing if he was paying much attention to the weather or not, probably was, he's always on top of things, but anyway, sent a quick text, hey, there's ice, winter storm warning, and um, he said, well, actually, we were planning on coming home on Monday, but we're supposed to get a foot of snow, so after it passed through here and went on in Canada, there was going to be this foot of snow, and so he was paying attention to that warning, too, and then had to modify his travel plans to come back when it was safe. Sometimes these unwanted messages are full of things that will bring safety to us, but we need to pay attention to them, right, in order for that to, to be a helpful message. Well, Jesus' message was to those who didn't want to hear about a topic that they didn't think they needed, and he was calling out sin that they were blind to, and yet his message is full of grace. So as I say to those who didn't want to hear, they were skeptical. They were jealous of the crowds that Jesus was drawing. They were suspicious of him. And if you remember the sermon from last week, these two pictures of the ones that were accusing and the ones that were asking for the sign, well, the reason 
They weren't expecting anybody that came from that region, the Nazareth Ridge, to be the one to fulfill Moses' prophecy. They were prejudiced against the region where Jesus grew up. And so they're basically, when they're asking for the sign, they're not asking for just another sign because he had done lots of miracles. They're asking for a miraculous, like even a more miraculous sign because they just can't believe that anybody coming from that region over there would be the one that would fulfill these words of Moses. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. And they were wondering, do we have to listen to Jesus? Is he the one? They just couldn't believe it because he came from this region, but also that was the same region that Jonah had come from. So when he said this about that, he was, when he was listening to them, he knew that they were suspicious and skeptical, and yet he was the fulfillment of this Moses prophecy. And so what does he do when they're asking for a sign? He starts to talk to them about an impure spirit, about deliverance ministry, a topic that I'm sure they didn't think they needed. It was a warning, so to speak, a weather warning that they weren't expecting, something that was telling them a message that they weren't expecting and they really didn't think it applied to them. That front's going to go south of us. Those evil spirits are for somebody else. That wouldn't be talking about us. Well, Jesus, in this very um, dense little section here, gives us a lot to learn about the clash of his kingdom that had come, one of the themes of Luke, the coming of the kingdom of God, and how it's clashing with the kingdom of evil, the kingdom of darkness. Evil Spirits 101. I'm going to run through some things that you can draw from this text and from other texts in the Bible just to give you a little bit of understanding when he's talking about an impure spirit. Impure spirits, evil spirits prefer to live in people. And we know from other passages that the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. So that's their mode of operation. That's their mission. They're present in people because of original sin and also the sins that we commit and from being sinned against. It opens the door. It gives an opening for evil spirits. Now, remember when um, Jesus taught us last week about how that the strong man and then when a stronger man came. Remember the lifeboat and then the big naval carrier, right? So Jesus comes as that stronger man to evict. The evil spirits will return with reinforcements if the house is not filled. It was clean, but it doesn't say it was occupied. It was swept clean, but it wasn't occupied, and they'll return with reinforcements if the house is not filled or occupied. Jesus taught believers to pray daily, lead us not in temptation, and deliver us from the evil one. Several weeks ago, we went over that passage from verse 4. And so this wasn't for um, non-believers, to pray, this was he was teaching, pray for our daily bread, and as you're praying for your daily bread and your daily needs, pray that we will not be led into temptation and that we will be delivered from evil. Demons want to hurt God by destroying his image in his creation. Demons will defy God 
by representing their own life and their own will through God's representatives on earth. And so if you remember when Jesus said to Peter, Satan, get behind me, that was an evil spirit speaking through Peter, exerting its will that Jesus would not go and be crucified. Demons can claim ownership or squatter's rights by invitation and participation through sin. That's why it's so important for us to put off the old clothes, to not live into our old identity. The enemy tempts us to start sinning, and then the enemy can have squatter's rights. So remember it says, um, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the enemy a tokos, a foothold, a room in your house, so to speak. We don't want squatter's rights. Often an evil spirit will reveal its function or presence by what they say or do. And so the mute spirit, the person couldn't speak, and then when it was evicted, they could speak. That was the function. It was keeping them mute. Um, When they're accusing Jesus of casting out that evil spirit by um, the prince of demons, they're revealing that quite likely it's the prince of demons that's causing them to act in the way and speak in the way that they are. So, Jesus' teaching teaches us that evil spirits are very real and that to be complacent, to not occupy the house but to just sweep it clean, is to remain in the grip of evil. And so that story that he shares illustrates that there's no neutrality, that the person delivered from evil must fill their life with the kingdom of God. Or I believe it was Bill Bright that talked about putting Jesus on the throne of your life. Let him be king of everything. Let him rule and reign in your heart and in your life. And therefore, live in obedience to the word of God. And verse 28 references that. There's a warning here. There's a message that you can have a false hope. Deception can occur. You can think that your house has been swept clean, but if there's a strong man that's remaining there in control, you're at great risk. And so one of the commentaries I read said that you must be firmly rooted in the kingdom of God by the power of God in the person of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God in the power of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And what were these religious leaders doing that were in the crowd that day? They were rejecting Jesus. They were denying his power. They were saying that his source wasn't coming from the kingdom of God. It was coming from the kingdom of darkness. They were in need of a deliverer. This is a message that calls out sin that these people are blind to. It's a crowd that's pressing in on him. And while there were some that were amazed, there were many that were skeptical, accusing, and um, asking for more proof as if they were the judge. And what their sin they're blind to is that they're actually acting as spiritual terrorists. They're rejecting Jesus and causing others to reject him as well. They're giving false security to their followers. Just follow our traditions. 
God's word said this much in the commandments, but they've added this many more layers of things to do and giving people a false sense of security. If they just do these things, they'll be okay. They're driving many others away because of their extremes. They're scattering for eternity. Remember last week you said, you know, if you're not gathering, you're scattering. Right? They were scattering, and the results would be for eternity. Jesus says they're far worse off. They're an evil, wicked generation. And I imagine that they're there feeling like they are pursuing holiness at all costs. Right? They are studying God's words. They are studying the Torah. They have devoted themselves to this occupation of being experts in the law. And Jesus is calling them a wicked generation and saying that the Queen of Sheba and the Ninevites are going to be ones that stand up and condemn them at the judgment. And there will be judgment. There will be judgment. There will be a day when Jesus comes back. Well, who is this Queen of Sheba? She's mentioned in um, Kings and Chronicles. She's a very intelligent, articulate leader from an area called Yemen in the southern um, Arabian Peninsula at the bottom of that gray um, picture. Well, she comes... She comes as a leader, a representative of her country, because she had heard that Solomon was so wise. And she wanted to see for herself. She traveled 1,400 miles. This was before buses, cars, planes. She traveled 1,400 miles to check out the wisdom and to see, is it really true what they say, that Solomon is such a wise leader? She came from a polytheistic culture so many gods but she came to see was it true because how much wisdom a person had wisdom was thought to be attributed from deities and so if this person was more wise than anybody else then this god would be god the god most high and so she came to give a philosophical wisdom debate She came with much wisdom, and he had more wisdom. Who is this other party that's going to bring condemnation against the religious leaders and those that are rejecting Jesus? The Ninevites. The Ninevites were the arch enemy of Israel. They were the capital, one of the capitals of um, Assyria. If you see, that's that orange section. And about halfway across that top arch is Nineveh. It was a country that was pagan. They worshipped idols. They um, were really into building. They built libraries. And what did they stock their libraries with? Information about magic. They were terrorists. They were so cruel. They were so brutal. Every year they went out and um, gathered slaves, even from among their people. They were looking for slaves. They would go out just arbitrarily and gather slaves 
to enslave them to build more because you needed a lot of labor, manual labor. So their people were um, hopeless. There was a lot of alcoholism. There was blatant sexuality. They were so evil that when they conquered an area, they would skin people alive. They would decapitate people and build pyramids. And I'm not going to get into more graphic, but they were evil. And this is going to be a people that stands up and condemns those that are rejecting Jesus. And we say, how can that be? How can that be? And I imagine they were thinking, this is crazy. What is he saying? But what did the Queen of Sheba do? She recognized God's wisdom and the king. And Second Chronicles 9, 8, this is her words. Praise be to the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on his throne as king to rule for the Lord your God. Because of the love of your God for Israel and his desire to uphold them forever, he has made you king over them to maintain justice and righteousness. So the Queen of Sheba recognizes a God-anointed king and gives praise to God. She gives four tons of gold. She gives precious stones. She gives precious wood. And she gives lots and lots of um, frankincense and other spices, costly, costly gifts to the kingdom of God. She recognized a God-appointed king, and Jesus is there as king of kings. The Ninevites, what did they do? Why would it be that they could condemn the religious leaders and those that are opposing Jesus? Because they recognized God's prophet and responded to his message. And so this is what Jonah says. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed. The king himself takes off his robes, puts on sackcloth and ashes, and he makes this declaration, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Jonah comes representing a God that they don't recognize. It's not one of their gods that they worship. He comes as an unknown prophet to an unknown area, and from the greatest to the least, they all repent. Because they recognize that this prophet has a message from God himself. And so they represent and they recognize God's prophet and his prophetic message from the Lord. Unlike the leaders who are there in that situation watching Jesus do miracle after miracle, watching the crowds following him, they didn't want to hear his message They didn't think they needed to hear the message. And they were calling, Jesus was calling out sin that they weren't aware of. And yet Jesus is so full of love and so full of grace. He gives a sign, the sign of Jonah. In Matthew it talks about this being um, Jonah going in the belly of the whale and then being raised up, and Jesus would die and raise up. Well, Luke is putting a different emphasis on it. Luke is saying, they listened to my words, Jonah's words, 
God's message through Jonah, and they responded, and I'm here as the prophet of prophets, and I'm going to give you a message. And it's like a weather alert that maybe you aren't looking forward to and you didn't hope to receive it, but yet it allows for safety if heeded. Jesus says, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Jesus is saying, believe it. I love you. Jesus loves the people. He's saying, follow me. Obey me. I have your best at heart. Really, you don't want to slide off. You don't want to go in a ditch. You don't want to roll over. You don't want to die and die for eternity. Believe me. What does this message mean for us in 2016 here at Gold Avenue Church. What does it mean for us? I believe one of the things that the Lord would say is that he's making us aware of the spiritual battle. We are dedicated to proclaiming Jesus, the gospel, salvation in Jesus alone. And we see people see that hope and they respond to that hope, but then we see people struggle. And I believe the Lord wants us to understand the nature of the spiritual battle. And I'm going to read a couple of excerpts from John Calvin. And I want you to understand that this is not, I don't, we are not putting emphasis on the enemy any differently than Jesus did. Jesus was teaching us about how he operates and how he works. I was thinking about this as far as the Spartan um, football, because we've had a lot of bowl games recently, right? And sorry if you're a Spartan fan. But don't you know that the Spartan coaches are going to be watching video films of their opponents? And the University of Michigan, their coaches watch films of their opponent teams. Why did they do it? Is it because they're preoccupied and their loyalty went with the other team? No, it's because... They want to win. They want to remain strong. They want to be strengthened. They want to be prepared. It's not because they're preoccupied and they're interested in their opponents just for curiosity's sake. It's to prepare themselves. And in the same way, I believe the Lord would call us to be prepared and be aware of how the enemy would try to push against discipleship, would try to push against the kingdom of God advancing in our lives and using our lives to advance the kingdom in the neighborhood And around the world. And so these are a few things that John Calvin says. Theologian, if you're not familiar with him, theologian, reformed theologian. We have here a description of Satan's nature. He never ceases to do us injury, but is continually busy and moves from one place to another. In a word, he directs all his efforts to accomplish our destruction. And above all, when he has been vanquished and put to flight by Christ, it only tends more to whet his rage and keenness to do us injury. We are plainly taught by these words of Christ that Satan views with deeper hatred and attacks with greater fierceness and rage those who have been rescued from his sneers. Such an admonition, however, ought not to inspire us with terror, but to arouse us to keep diligent watch and to put on the spiritual armor that we may make a brave resistance. If I was going to go back to a football analogy, I would say you just need to run your moves, you need to practice, you need to work out, 
You need to be strong in order to be prepared. We need to live a disciplined life. We need to be in the word. We need to be in prayer. Why is that? Because the Lord strengthens us and we know who it is that protects us and helps us to resist temptation when we are full of the kingdom of God and full of his word. Calvin goes on and he says, Let us not then suppose that the devil has been vanquished by a single combat because he has once gone out of us. And then he goes on at quite length to talk about the way that the enemy knows us intimately because he was there with us from the beginning. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our sin patterns. And he tries to work those to get back at us, to get us back ensnared into his grip. Whatever may be the fierceness or violence of Satan's attacks, they ought not to intimidate the sons of God, whom the invincible power of the Holy Spirit preserves in safety. And so nothing to fear, but something to be very, very aware of, his tactics and his ways. What else does this message mean for us here at Gold Avenue? Jesus has taught us to not leave our house empty. And again, before, earlier, when he was teaching on the Lord's Prayer, then he said, remember, ask and seek and knock. And, you know, if you're evil and you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit? The Lord wants us to be full of the Holy Spirit, to ask, to seek, to knock, even as we pray daily for our daily needs we most definitely daily need the spiritual filling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also makes us aware of ways that we too might do some of the things that are represented in this passage today. Perhaps we resist grace and prefer striving. Right? Those religious leaders were striving and it just seemed so easy that people would just repent and receive grace, that they would just hear the wisdom and they would praise the Lord. Maybe we, maybe the Holy Spirit might say, maybe you need to listen that your sins are forgiven and quit beating yourself up and trying to make amends over and over and over for something that I say is done. Maybe this is what the Lord would say to someone here today. Perhaps we put ourselves above the message of God's word. They were putting themselves above Jesus and his word, and they were judging Jesus. Maybe we do this sometimes in contemporary issues. What does marriage mean? How long is a marriage supposed to last? Well, God's word says it's what God has joined together. Let no one put asunder. Now, if you're divorced... There's grace, and there's forgiveness, and there's new life and starting over. But if you're in a marriage, what does the Lord say? Are we putting ourselves under the word of God and praying about it and seeking the Lord? Or are we standing in judgment over it and thinking, well, that doesn't apply to me? Or maybe is marriage between a man and a woman, is that really what God intended? How much, how much of our culture is standing and putting itself over and questioning some of these things in God's word? And so 
God's word is very clear. We're to live without slander. We're to live without gossip. We're to live without lust. We're to pursue intimacy with the Lord. Are we obeying? Are we hearing and obeying God's word like Jesus is calling us to do? Maybe we trust in tradition rather than Jesus. I was reading a little book on Satan's tactics and Satan goes to church and, you know, somebody changed the order of worship and put a song in or something and the person never came back. Well, you know, they might have been trusting in tradition rather than trusting in Jesus. Perhaps the Lord would say that some of us need more freedom. And this teaching on lead me not into temptation and deliver me from evil, that that's a prayer that we can pray daily. Perhaps the Lord would invite us, some of us, to pursue more freedom in this year. Perhaps we need to repent if we've been living rebelliously. And you know, Pastor Dave and I try to be very um, transparent with you. And so the Lord convicted me on Sabbath. Well, this, for you all, this is your Sabbath. You come here and this is part of your day of rest and focusing on the Lord. For pastors, we have a different, we take a different day because this is a day of work. And so there's a Sabbath. And so this week, Thursday, was going to be my Sabbath. And on Wednesday night, I went to bed thinking I'm going to work more on my sermon tomorrow. And during the night, I felt like the Lord impressed me and convicted me that I needed to trust him and that his rhythm of grace means that there's rest and that I needed to rest and trust that the message would come. But I needed to observe my Sabbath. None of us. None of us are above being tempted. None of us are above sinning. And we need God's grace. Jesus promises blessing if we humbly hear and respond to his word by obedience. The woman shouts out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And he replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. In that culture, a woman would be honored by the accomplishments of her son. And he's saying, you know, he already told us that whoever is his mother and brothers are the ones who obey him, right? And so he's saying, you're going to be honored by my ongoing accomplishments as you obey me. As you hear my word and you obey me, you're going to be honored. And that's what those Pharisees and the experts of the law, they really wanted to be honored Everybody wants honor and respect of some, and I don't think that there's a, good, there's a good sense of honor, a good sense of wanting to be honorable. And the Lord wanted to give that. He wanted to give deep, deep happiness and joy, and that's what he wants to give to each of us. But he calls each of us to listen to his word and to respond with obedience. And when I think about this, I'm thinking Jesus wasn't laying something heavy on us, and he wasn't laying something heavy on them. Because he was inviting them to repent. He was inviting them to receive him as king. He was inviting them to receive the message. Because in his compassion, he was on his way to die for their sins, for my sins, for your sins. He was on the way to the cross when he gave this unwanted message that day. And I pray that we all will open our hearts open our minds, and receive Jesus in 2016 and acknowledge him as Savior and Lord, a good, good God who wants to bring great joy.
to his children. Amen.